Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks, and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash. Earthquakes, too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next. Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the life of ourselves, our family, and others. Last time I talked to you about food storage basics, and today I will talk again about having food to get through a difficult time. The most basic foods are wheat, sugar, salt, oil, and flavorings. You want to have a reasonably good manual wheat grinder and a large cast iron pot with a lid. Propane camp stove is a good idea with extra propane. Also, regular multivitamins are good. I specified a cast iron pot because your body will get the iron it needs from cast iron. The wheat grinder will cost between $100 and $300, and 100 pounds of wheat costs less than $100. If you are sensitive to wheat, you can buy an ancient wheat, such as spelt or immer, which costs about twice as much as wheat. Hard wheat is better than soft wheat for bread and for storage. Another great use of wheat is wheat sprouts or wheatgrass juice. This is a great source for year-round chlorophyll, which green vegetables or leafy green vegetables provide. It can take as long as two weeks to soak and grow wheatgrass. Remember, you are eating more for health than for pleasure. In stressful or difficult times, expect to need lots of extra calories. Sugar and oil are the easiest source of calories, even though we don't want them in our current day-to-day diet. For every 100 pounds of wheat you buy, get 25 pounds of sugar and a gallon or two of oil and 5 pounds of iodized salt. You want the iodine because it's essential for good health. A few people are concerned about a nuclear accident. If you are concerned with that, get potassium iodide tablets. That is so that your thyroid gland fills up with good iodine instead of the radioactive iodine, which would kill your thyroid gland. After the 1986 Chernobyl-Russian nuclear meltdown, many of those local Russian people lost their thyroid gland. Another part of food storage is to have food for your pets. In a pinch, bread can work for them and for you too. So as you look to the future, whatever natural disasters we might face, it's up to you to evaluate the possibilities and decide what it is you want to prepare for. It is a sure thing that if you do not look and do not prepare for anything, you just might starve. Or you could die just waiting for our government to give you the food you want. Just look at how many weeks it took our government to provide meaningful assistance to the victims of the Katrina hurricane in 2005. As Christians, we want to help others and not be the ones asking for help. I know there's plenty of people who rightly ask for and receive government assistance, and that is good and right for them. But our Christian standard is to help others, and to be in a position where we can help others, we need to have extra on hand to give. Scientists study the earth, and some of them are saying that the United States has several very major earthquake faults, which are about due for a quake. There is also Yellowstone Caldrea, or supervolcano, and some say it's about due to go off also. The destruction from any of these events could cause global or national food shortages, shortages that are so great that they would not be measured in weeks or months, but I think in years. We really don't know when a natural disaster would occur. It could be in five days or five years. So start your preparations now. Before there's an urgent need and what you want is hard to find, remember to give thanks to God for the blessings that you do have. 
Your letters with questions or donations are important. John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222, Chico, California, 95927. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX. My Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Settle up your horses. Welcome to Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is the program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness, where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. For God has called us to stand for truth, and having done all to stand, we will stand. It's time to fight the good fight of faith to preserve our country, our families, fortunes, and sacred honor to protect our property, our schools, and yes, maybe even salvage some of our churches. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Now, here is your host of Red Sky Radio, Rob Walter. Well, hello, America, and welcome world to Red Sky Radio, where where we ride hard for the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you on this Easter weekend. Uh, I'm going to depart from my traditional pattern here a little bit. I'm going to launch into a story right out of the gate. I'm going to skip the good news because the second half of the program is good news. And I want to pay deference to the fact that this is Easter, but with some things that people don't think about in Easter and its relationship to contemporary society, whether you are in the United States or whether you're in Bangladesh, it does not really matter. Uh, Easter is the same everywhere. It stands for the same thing. But I want to start this program with some comments and some things that I feel that need to be said about the Notre Dame. And sorry if I say Notre Dame because I think I usually think in terms of the f- football team and the school in South Bend, Notre Dame University. But Notre Dame, and it's burning earlier this week, Things that I have not heard, and it's troubling me why I haven't heard them. Now, as I've mentioned before on this program, I don't cover secular news unless there's something important from a secular perspective people have overlooked, and I will share that today, or there is a spiritual significance to an, a what we think is a secular event that, of course, the mainstream me- media would never cover because they are not of that spirit to even think in those terms. Or if they are, they aren't allowed to say it on the air. So I want to start with this piece, and then we're going to have a section on Easter, which you won't want to miss. It's not your conventional Easter declaration. So don't think that you've heard it all, because you haven't. So first of all, I just would like to start here with the fact that um, – you know, this program is always based upon applying the Word of God to today's events. And the issue with the burning of the cathedral is really no different. If something happens on Tuesday, and I, and I have a true sense, a, a strong confidence and assurance from God that there is Scripture that explains what happened on Tuesday, you're going to hear about it on that weekend. I used to do that when I would preach. People would want to hear something about the grace of God. Well, that's great. I love grace messages, but not 52 weeks a year. And churches that just say, we just preach grace, preach, grace, preach, grace, are actually in violation of the Scripture, which says, as a command, to preach the whole counsel of God, which means everything that's in that word needs to be taught. Yes, it starts with grace. It ends with grace. It gets us through some things. But there's a lot of things that that message will never reach in and of itself, things that we need to know. I'm certainly not denigrating it. We are all we are saved by grace. 
but to preach the same message to a body of people who are already believers every week, I have never understood that. So this program is different in that respect. Yes, we will touch on God's grace where it applies, but in between we try to cover all the things that most pastors don't have the guts to touch on because it's part of the whole counsel of God, as is the first portion of this program uh, portion and then all of the last section of this program. So anyway, I want to start with, first of all, with the nation of France. I took two years of French in high school. I do not remember two days of French. Je ne parle prof, what? Je ne parle prof français. It means I don't speak French. I know how to say I don't speak French in French. That's about it. And then you got, you know, all your bonjour and all the other French words that have made their way into the English lexicon. And there are a lot of them. But France has a great history and a horrible history, as do, as do many nations. Under the Huguenots, it was, uh, there was a strong spiritual revival. I don't know what the Catholic Church was like in France, although we know what some popes did and what happened during the French Revolution. Uh, and, and there are a lot of bad, bloody ordeals in that country's history. However, there are two things going on. First of all, they say that there is a spiritual revival of a small sort. That's sort. Of, that's what they do. That's the way they describe it in France. Not since this the the cathedral burning, but they say it was it's going on uh, that there's a small revival. Well, revivals and small sort of like jumbo shrimp. They kind of doesn't really go together. Kind of seems like that's what's the word oxymoronic. Well, anyway. Spiritually, France has been hollowed out for uh, for a couple of centuries now, and then the the unwillingness to deal with the Islamic problem, and it is a problem. It's 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 an alteration of their fundamental culture, but their culture has degraded, and God will always, which we'll get to in a minute, always will use foreigners to bring judgment on a country that has walked away from God's word. There's no exception. You can't find one time in the Old Testament that Israel was judged in any meaningful capacity from within. He, it might have been the Egyptians. It may be the Babylonians. It may have been the Assyrians. It may have been the Philistines. He was always using somebody who actually did not believe in God as a tool of God to judge God's people who were in disobedience. It's the way it has always been, and it essentially always will be. So France is sort of hollowed out spiritually, and oftentimes things happen in the natural that are representative of that which is going on in the spiritual, or will go on, or has gone on. There are a number of places throughout the Old Testament where God has said to one of the one of the prophets, "Do this or do that," you know, uh, eat this or just lie on your side for a lot of days and do this, and all of these things are things in the natural that are representative of that which was going on in the in the spiritual. Hosea was commanded by God to marry a prostitute. Seems like it was conflict. I mean, uh, conflicted with Scripture. Seemed like, but it was a prophetic event that would show Hosea as a as the Israel that had married itself to idol worship and a spiritual prostitution does that all the time so i want to i want to touch here and i'm still under point number 1 the the alleged spiritual rebirth i really truly hope it happens i i i have nothing against the french per se they've been our allies They've been against us. We had the, you know, we we fought against them, and they fought with us. Uh, but that's all behind us. The French have a beautiful language, beautiful culture. I've often said, you know, the, a Frenchman could say to a person, "Hey, you can just stick this in your ear, and you think it's a marriage proposal." The German is could be making the marriage proposal, but it sounds like he's telling you to stick it in the ear, in your ear. Sort of a, just a difference in the way the language flows. No wonder it's called the Romance language. But do not think that because Notre Dame has burned, 
that that is going to necessarily be the event that will lead to a spiritual rebirth. Keep in mind, France's attachment to that cathedral is as a national historic monument, not a church. Yes, there were church things that were going on in there, but it wasn't even a church. It didn't have a congregation. It wasn't a parish. Yes, they did their vespers and what have you. But it was basically a tourist attraction. A, a thing dedicated to God had become primarily a tourist attraction. So keep that in mind. So if you think that the destruction of a tourist attraction will lead to a spiritual rebirth, could God do it? Yes, he could. But you know what? We said that there was this great spiritual rebirth in the United States after the 19 Islamists attacked us on 9-11. Or like Ilhan Omar says, some people did something. What a loser. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. People said there was going to be a spiritual rebirth in the United States, and, and for a couple of weeks and for a month, churches were packed. And I want to tell you something. After that one month began a 10-year period, which included Obama and all the evil he brought into the system, and he did, worst president in the history of the United States, the United States went, not only was there not a rebirth, the United States went down spiritually more in the 10 years following 9-11 than in any 10-year period in its history, including the Roaring Twenties. It didn't lead to a rebirth. People were saddened by the horror and the tragedy, but pretty soon it was business as usual, and pretty soon we're allowing a ton of, uh, of, of people who don't share our values into this country. The, the queer agenda takes off in, w with rapid stream. And, and, and why? God is allowing those things as a judgment against the United States, in part because our repentance was not repentance. We were not sorry as a nation for what we had done. We were simply sorry for what had happened. We felt badly about what happened. It's like the little kid who gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar, he gets spanked, and, and he goes away crying. Is he, is he sorry for what he did, or is he sorry because he got caught? And that's the pro that was the problem in the United States. There was no real repentance. Everybody go around saying, God bless America, God bless America, but America would not bless God. We had it completely backwards. Point number two, I want to bring out some things that are not brought out in the mainstream media. Now, I am not going to say to you that the bombing of Notre Dame was a foreign act, or that it was an act of a terrorist, or as another jihadi wacko whack job, uh, a terrorism act or arson attack. But here is my concern, and I'm gonna. This is this is what the mainstream media has not brought out. A couple of things from common sense, and one thing that actually deals with my own personal experience uh, as an investigator. One of the things of which I would investigate before I went to law school, was arson fires. So here's the deal. In the seven days prior to the Notre Dame Theater, or Cathedral burning, there were 12 different churches. In seven days, almost two a day, churches that were desecrated by illegal immigrants or Muslims. Now, I'm not sure every one of them was Muslim. But the ones that you talk about, they don't have the guts to tell it like it is. They're so afraid that somehow they need to protect the Muslims that are trashing the Catholic churches, they don't have the guts to say it. And for that, France will end up taking it in the shorts if they don't grow some cojones real soon and deal with the problem. Now, does that mean that Notre Dame was torched by a Muslim terrorist? Of course it does not. I am not saying that. I'm just bringing up an interesting fact that they don't like to bring up because it might lead logically to a suspicion. Look, if every person that tried to get a, get a gun onto a plane in the United States was 30 years old with a long beard and spoke with an accent, then you would start to suspect people, guys who are 30 years old, beards and a foreign accent. 
right? It's okay to profile. It's why Israel's still alive. It's why Israel still exists, because they do profile all the time. If this, these are the indicia, if these are the indicators of a terrorist, then we're going to look at harder, look harder at people who carry and bear those, those uh, characteristics. It's called common sense, not the, not the little weenieism that we have here in the in this country because, oh, we don't dare to blah, 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 blah. I get so sick of the gutless, cojoneless people who are so afraid of offending people that they will put our country at risk because they don't have the guts to do what they ought to do. Okay, so what happened? What happened immediately after the fire was out? And I mean immediately, within a couple of hours. The French authorities announced that, number one, they do not know what caused the fire. But number two, they're absolutely sure it was not arson or terrorism. You heard me right. You think, well, I, you, maybe you're not getting the conflict here. They we're absolutely sure it's not arson or terrorism, but we really don't know what caused it. This reminds me of the God-haters that are out there, most of whom or many of whom occupy positions as professors in some of America's institutions of lower learning that, that espouse evolution, and they espouse it this way. When it comes down to it, we really don't know what started life. But this much we do know, it wasn't God. He didn't do it. We have no idea, but he didn't do it. Do you realize how stupid that is? Actually, how uneducated it really sounds? We're going to rule out something without any evidence that it should be ruled out just because we don't believe it and we don't want to believe it because if we did believe God created it, then we would have to be accountable to this God for our behavior, otherwise known as our sins. That's why they don't want to acknowledge God. It brings them into accountability to God if they recognize that God existed. Now, I'm only using that in an analogous way here, as a, as a point of logic. How can you say, we don't know what started this. All we know is that it's not arson and it's not terrorism. Now, to my arson training. I didn't spend most of my time as an arson investigator, but I did go to a school. I spent time in Connecticut going through arson investigation techniques. It was within the bailiwick of what I was assigned to investigate. And I remember one particular fire. I had a gut sense that it was arson because I knew of the party, and I thought so little of him. My opinion, the guy was a, was a crook masquerading as a Christian businessman. And I still think I'm right. And his house caught on fire. And I ended up getting a statement from a guy who said he saw somebody running out of the house with a gas can. Well, there's run number one. But if I never had that statement, the house had four points of origin. Four points of origin. A fire doesn't start in four totally different places unless it started intentionally. So in the world of arson investigation, this is a duh moment. Obviously, it's arson. So the person who wants to burn something quickly and believes that they can burn it in a, in a quick enough time that the fire department won't intervene in, in a quick enough time to gather evidence will start it at multiple locations so it burns to the ground quicker and in the process consume the very evidence that would give rise to the knowledge that it was arson. In other words, if you can get the thing just burning like crazy in multiple locations that will be difficult to ever identify a point of origin because there are multiple points, and in the fire it will consume the very evidence needed to prove arson. This person was not successful in doing that because the house didn't burn, and he absolutely, he absolutely committed arson. But this is what the media will not tell you because they do not have the guts to do it.
They don't even dare. I mean, even uh, Brent Bear shut down a person who posited that maybe it was it was uh, arson and terrorism. He shut him down. Look, you've got no evidence. Well, guess what? The French have no evidence that it wasn't. So if the French have the ability to say without any evidence to the contrary that it definitely wasn't, then why does anybody need any evidence to say it definitely was? I'm just using the French logic here, which is not very logical. But this is the ultimate point that I bring to you as a arson investigator from 40 years ago, 35 years ago. A good arsonist never makes it look like arson. That's a good arsonist. A good arsonist is not going to leave a trail. He's going to do everything possible to make it look accidental. If you're going to torch a place, you're going to set the fire in a place that would be very close to an electrical box or something that could otherwise give reason to a natural accidental cause for that fire and thereby conceal your arson act. A good arsonist will never leave the trail for it to know that it's arson. He will make it look like it was accidental, and therefore the police, the fire investigators will come in in a couple of hours and say, voila, to use another French term, there is no, pro there is no proof of arson. Well, you got no proof that it wasn't because you don't have any proof that it was accidental. And even if it appears accidental, a good arsonist will make it look accidental. That's what the media is not telling you. Is it possible that it is natural causes? Absolutely. But we don't know because the French will never tell you if it was arson. They will never tell you if they caught. I, I, I got to tell you, I don't think they'd, if they really had a lead on a couple of suspects for something, I don't think we'd find out about it. Because, gosh, we sure don't want to make everybody feel bad by identifying the ethnicity of somebody who may have started it. Maybe Muslim, may not be. Could be some, you know, somebody who was part of Occupy Wall Street. Who knows? My point is this. You cannot say that it wasn't until you know what it was. You can't. But that's what they're telling you. Okay. As it relates spiritually, I want to move to the spiritual side of this. It says in Scripture that judgment begins at the house of God. So if this Catholic church has ceased to be a church primarily and now is a tourist attraction, in other words, if that which was dedicated for the purposes of glorifying God is now a moneymaker for the French, God has no use for that. None whatsoever. And foolishly, they claim they're going to rebuild as though something new replaces something that's 850 years old. I mean, duh, do they not even get why it's a tourist attraction? New buildings are not tourist attractions. If the church hasn't dealt with its own sins, God will. See, that's right out of Scripture. It says when you take communion, we always, we always talk about the passage where Jesus broke bread and said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We never seem to talk about the communion passage from 1 Corinthians, where Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit, said, don't do drink this cup and eat this bread unworthily. In fact, if you judge yourselves, he said, judge yourselves. Judge yourselves whether you have any sin in you. And why does he say judge yourself? Because if you don't judge yourself, God will have to. God will. Will God judge a church that won't repent and judge itself? Absolutely. Maybe it's the loss of membership. Maybe it's the loss of your steeple. I have no idea. doesn't mean every time a church burns that it's judgment. Because there are, there are God-haters out there. They're the bibliophobes. They're the Christophobes who hate Jesus. you got the three black churches that burned in Mississippi. I don't see that as judgment. you got a white church or one or two white churches that burned, too, and another one that's desecrated, which doesn't seem 
to indicate a racial motive. It could be, but if it is, it's only for some of the people who are doing the burning. The others are just God-haters. So if the church doesn't judge itself, God will. Turn it, turn it into a tourist attraction. That's not what God's building built for his glory was intended for. And that leads to this next point. The two of the two of the most beautiful buildings ever built were the two temples in Israel. The first one being Solomon's temple, second one being Herod. Herod being far temple far less glorious but nonetheless a glorious building. God directed and ordained the building of each temple. This is a point you got to grab. God ordained the building of each temple. Point one. Point two. The Hebrews defiled each temple to some degree and certainly defiled the way they worshiped and went into idolatry as it related to both temples. Point number three. God ordained the destruction of both temples. God ordained their creation. He ordained how they should worship. The Jews abandoned the worship of true God, went into idolatry, made a mockery of the temple. Even Jesus had to throw the money changers out and rearrange the furniture because he was so upset that it turned into what? A place of greed, a place of money changers, a place where money was made. Might as well have been a tourist attraction in Paris. And then, because God ordered the building, man did the defiling, God ordered their destruction. And the point to tack on to this, each of those temples was destroyed by foreigners. People who did not know God, God did, had really little little to do with those other peoples other than to use them as people who were were heathen and pagans to inflict and impose a judgment upon his people who knew better but now were acting worse than the heathens and the pagans which came in to destroy those temples and in the second case carry away the people. I'm sorry, the first case, carry away the people. You see, could God have been entirely behind all of this? Yes, he could have. I, I don't know. If he, people say, well, it was an accident. It was just an accident. They actually, actually do prove uh, a non-terrorist-related cause. Still doesn't mean that God didn't do it for what that had been. He's, after all, he's given France a lot of time to get it right with that church. And you know what's going on in the Catholic Church with all the priest abuse and all of that stuff. Judgment is raining down, it appears. All of that, however, is good. Because when God judged those temples in Israel, in those two cases, there was some measure of repentance. Not much. And it didn't change things for a long time. The Jews had to wait Long time to come back. Rob Walter, don't go away. I got a very special Easter message when we return. Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter, but in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 
888-985-8358. Thank you. Uh, we're back. This is Rob Walter with Red Sky Radio. I'm just kind of laughing here. I, I don't know that I had ever introduced an Easter message by way of Bob Seger's Katmandu. But hey, there are Christians in Katmandu. We have listeners in Nepal. Did a program just the other day just for South Asia. And we got, we've got listeners in Nepal. And uh, we've got Christians in Nepal. And the Christians in Nepal are celebrating Easter. So that's for you guys. Well, a survey not too long ago showed that Easter has now dropped to absolute last place among all holidays in the United States. That's right. Last place. The least favorite holiday of all the people in the survey was Easter. It's lower. In fact, it's much lower than Halloween. Halloween actually sort of, I think it was either second or first now, that by itself should tell you something. You couldn't have Halloween rise up without Easter going down. You can't have a holiday that generally speaks of evil without that which speaks of good taking a hit. Well, Galatians 5.11 speaks of the offense of the cross, and it is an offense to a lot of people because the, the Easter is wrapped up in two words, cross and resurrection. But I want to touch on something here that you will see why it is has become the least favorite holiday, but also why it is the most important holiday that we have. Now, we've had for a long time a bunch of federal judges that have ruled the cross unconstitutional all over all over this country. And the rationale for ruling against the cross about being on public property is really interesting. Now, if you think lawyers are the smartest people in the world, this will give you pause to reflect and rethink that position. Yes, they can convolute this the situation. They can make it sound reasonable, all at the same time saying some of the most stupid things you have ever heard. And I can say that because I'm a lawyer, right? I mean, isn't self-deprecating comments still okay? Well, maybe not. But anyway, the courts have ruled that if the cross is in a place where it really only has a secular meaning, which would be basically a grave site, something like that. In other words, if the, if the cross has lost its religious meaning and, or has no real meaning at all, the courts have ruled it's okay. But they said if it has a specific religious value, then it's not okay. Did you follow that? The courts are saying, and have said for some time, and still do say, look, if the very reason the, the cross is there as a, as a reflection of the crucifixion of Christ, as long as it's lost that meaning, we're fine with it. If the, if the reason for its existence no longer exists, that's great. But if the reason for its existence still relates to its purpose today, then it's not okay. <laughs> okay. Los Angeles County removed the county seal uh, some years back because the ACLU said the cross might make some people feel uncomfortable which is, of course, an interesting test for the constitutionality of religious expression. So do we get to shut down anything and everything that I find religiously offensive that doesn't line up with my Christian belief? Now, of course, the law is only used against Christians. We know that because Christianity is the truth, and so that's the, that's the only thing that the secular world is really concerned about is, is knocking out the truth. 
city of San Diego took down its cross some years back on Mount Soledad because it bothered some people. Well, here's the news. I'm not, I don't have the time to read all these scriptures, but 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 23. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 23. Here's the news. The cross has always bothered people. It didn't just start bothering people 20 years ago when these lawsuits started. It has always bothered them. It's just that the cultural tailwind in the United States matched its religious tailwind, which was pro-Christian. And when that started to change, the head now Christianity faces a headwind, and the secular anti-God, God-hating, Christophobic, bibliophobic forces that occupy the ACLU, virtually every branch of government, and virtually every university in this country, now they have judges that will do their bidding. The Darth Vader's on the bench breathing threatenings against the Christians behind their black robes. That's where we are. But the cross has been only part of the problem and not the biggest part of the problem. Because if you get rid of the cross, you've also gotten rid of consideration of the ultimate problem with the cross, and that is the resurrection. You see, if Jesus did not claim to be alive, if Jesus wasn't alive, his death would not be so troublesome, would it? I mean, do we do we uh, rail against the tombstones of, of, of dead people who are still dead? No. The cross is a, is a convicting source of the Holy Spirit that brings people face to face with their sin and have to deal with the fact that if Jesus is alive then they have a God they still have to deal with and be accountable to. So I want you to consider a couple of the, the, the ironies of the crucifixion and the Easter story, the contradictions and the mysteries that surround the Easter story. I'm just going to whip through some things, but I've but I got to make sure I've got time to fit this in. We've got Pilate. Jesus has been arrested. We've got Pilate's wife who doesn't want Pilate to execute Jesus, but he does. So Pilate wonders before Jesus, what is truth? This is another irony. When truth was made flesh standing in front of him, and the word says, thy word is truth, and the word was made flesh. You see, the people loved a lie. But there's the, what an irony. Pilate speaking to, the, with, to truth made flesh, asking him, what is truth? I mean, an incredible irony. People love lies. There was this program not that long ago on Palestinian TV. It had Moses in it. And they like Moses. But it had Moses leading Muslims out of Egypt in this program. It was Muslims being let out. It wasn't Jews, which is sort of interesting because Moses was 1,200 years before Muhammad, and Muhammad being the founder of Islam, obviously the whole thing is, I mean, what a contradiction. People don't like to deal with the truth, so they fabricate and they realign things to fit the system that allows them to continue on without having to deal with their sins. Are you catching the thread of this? The other irony, another one, the guards stripped Jesus. He's the only one who deserves to wear a robe of righteousness. But before the guards, he's standing there basically naked. And he deserves a robe of righteousness. The, guard, the guards bow their knees. They mock him, not knowing that the day would come that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What an irony. On the very, and another one, on the very day of his death, the day he dies and descends, there are those who are resurrected and arise in Jerusalem. I mean, 
You know, we don't talk much about that because we don't know much about it. Gosh, what was going on? Can you imagine? You know, they come back from the cross and you got all these people in the in uh, greater Jerusalem and all of its suburbs pop up out of the graves. This this, this uh, another irony and the contradictions and the and the extreme measures non-believers take to believe a lie. So you got the guard's story at the tomb. All right? Yeah, well, we fell asleep, and the guys came in and stole them. The disciples came in and stole them. We fell asleep. Well, first of all, apparently the Sanhedrin, uh, they don't think well under pressure. Does is anybody wondered how do the guards know that it was the disciples if they were asleep? Duh. That's the duh question that nobody seems to ask, and nobody... Obviously, they can't know. And if they were awake enough to know that it was his disciples, if they were, then why didn't they stop him? But this doesn't even get ant. I mean, so these guys, and of course, the the penalty, the punishment for falling asleep on guard duty was death. So they concoct the other story. They concoct this story, and they got and they and they walk away with a boatload of money being paid to tell the lie because people want to be tickled with a lie. They want to be pleased with a lie. They be they prefer to believe the lie than to, to believe the truth about themselves, which then, if they did, would lead to the truth about Jesus. So really nothing has changed in 2,000 years. The ironies, the contradictions, the mysteries just continue on. And, I, and I'm just going to point out one from today. Jesus, an entirely innocent man, 100% innocent, no guilt whatsoever, is tried, convicted, and executed in 24 hours. But we can't, in the United States, get a guilty, convicted, triple-axe murder executed in 24 years. We turned... Don't don't talk to me about social justice, environmental. Don't give me that crapola. Justice does not need an adjective set in front of it. You see, we don't have Easter in the public square anymore. There's no Easter vacation. Our religious freedom is defined not as freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. The world wants to kill that which is alive and innocent, as we've talked about and then give life to those that are dead, spiritually speaking, right? So the, the, the cross is a problem because it speaks of Jesus' resurrection. They can't deal with the fact that he is alive. But they want to give life to that which is dead. Buddha, deader than a doornail. Muhammad, deader than a doornail. Jim Jones, deader than a doornail. Kwanzaa, well, it never was alive. It all it never never did exist. It's a, that's a makeup thing. That's that was dead. That's dead on arrival. Never was alive. See, allow people to speak of the gospel. We let them know, speak of the gospel when we know that they are insincere, because their insincerity comes through and it causes no conviction of sin. But we prohibit it when we know that they're serious. So the world will shut down the Franklin Grahams of the world. The world will shut down your gospel preachers. They will not be allowed in certain places. But they were fine with Obama blathering on, quoting some scripture or another, knowing he was a f- complete and full hypocrite, especially when he said that the Sermon on the Mount was a basis for commemorating queer marriage and the sodomy that consummates it. That's right. That's what he did. When somebody is insincere in quoting the scripture, we're fine with it. People have not gotten on. No, none, no one on the left has gotten on Alyssa, what her name is, Morano, for quoting from the Gospel of John as a defense for killing the unborn. First of all, it didn't apply. We know she screwed up. She wouldn't recognize a Bible in a Christian bookstore. And yet... The world, which would have 
come down with all of its ferocity on a Franklin Graham for quoting the scripture, speaking not truth to power, but speaking truth in power, which is the word of God, speaking that to Hollywood, they would come down on him. But they know Milano is just one screwed up mess. And so she gets by with quoting scripture like they let Obama quote scripture. Well, here's the deal. There's one little thing that the cross opens up, and it's not so little. And that's the fact that Jesus is alive. You see, Christmas is not that important if it didn't lead to Jesus' death. And the cross is not that important if it didn't lead to his resurrection. Without a resurrection, folks, Christmas means nothing. And the death on the cross means nothing. Paul made it very clear. He said, if we are if we are only alive in this life, there's no resurrection. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, we are of all people the most miserable. And I get that. Why take the persecution as a Christian? Why take all of the stuff that is negative against us and the fight that we have, the were the salmon swimming upstream against a, a strong current, hoping to reproduce those that would be like us, and yet even stronger, a stronger remnant to carry on, the onward Christian soldiers to carry on to the next generation, the gospel. Why would we do that if there were no heaven, if we weren't raised from the dead? You see, that's why... Islam is allowed in different places. Buddhism is allowed in different places. All these things are allowed, but Christianity gets targeted more than anything else because that's what the truth does. It is the one faith that calls into question our mortality in a way that if we don't accept Jesus Christ, we're as dead as Buddha and we're as dead as Muhammad. You see... That's the fact that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions is Easter. Easter is what makes Christianity different than everything. See, there's one little problem with the soldier's story. There were over 500 people that said they saw Jesus alive after the crucifixion. You see, there's one little problem with a lot of college professors that claim Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and that God is dead. You'd say, well, if he was alive, he's dead now. Maybe he was never alive. See, the problem for those, those college professors who are always learning but failing to come to the knowledge of the truth is this. The very next second after they make a statement that God is dead and there is no resurrection, somewhere someone gets saved. Somewhere someone gets healed. By God. Somewhere a marriage is restored. All because the soldier's story 2,000 years ago has been trumped by 2,000 years of miracles because we serve a risen Lord. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is dead. As I said, Buddha, Deuter and Dornail, Muhammad, Jim Jones, it doesn't matter. All the Jesus wannabes in the world. All the imposters of Christ, all the charlatans that have ever lived are dead and they're still dead. The charlatans that are currently alive, unless they accept Jesus as Lord, will die and remain dead until they're resurrected for the lake of fire. You see, the beauty of the resurrection begins with a promise of eternal security. But it doesn't end there. The resurrection is limited to the life of our bodies and souls, but Jesus lives to rise and raise other things from the dead in this life. He raises up our bodies from death and sickness. He raises up our finances from the death of poverty, raises up our marriages from the death of bitterness and strife and possible divorce. He raises up our relationships with our children from the death of estrangement and grief. He raises up our communities. He raises up our states and our countries from the death of a government-sponsored tyranny and the persecution of all things Christian. 
The Word of God says that it is impossible to please God without faith, but nothing is impossible with God. So if he has raised his son from the dead, I mean, think about this. If God has raised Jesus from the dead, which he has, ultimately, what is sickness for a period of time? Or what is a poverty or a bad relation? What is a bad president or a lousy country that hates Jesus for a period of time? It is only for a period of time. He's in the resurrection business. God is. He's in the resurrection business. He did it with Jesus. He'll do it with you. He's going to do it with me. He has spiritually, and someday I get to blow out of this ground if, I, if he doesn't return. If I don't get called up there before then, we just get to blow out of these graves, join him, and then return with him, as it says in Revelation 19 with the ten thousands of saints on white horses to make war against the world. who baby? Boy, is that going to be sweet. You see, there's no part of our lives, personally, professionally, or publicly, that is designed to remain in the grave. So I say to you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You ask him to come into your heart. You confess him as your Lord. You have just gone from death to life. And then watch him begin to raise other parts of your life from death. You're in a troubled marriage. You give that marriage to him. But you give it to him. You you can't fix it all by yourself. You're in a sickness you turn it over to him. You start praising him. God, I, you've raised me spiritually, raised me physically. God, I can't handle these finances. Yeah, I've done a lot of stupid things. I've blown money gambling. I've blown it drinking. I've blown it on poor, poor. Who knows? I've been just stupid with it. I've been lazy, what have you. But I want you to raise me up from the dead. You've done it spiritually. I want you to raise up parts, these parts of me. Give resurrection to these parts of me that have died. There's some areas I, I was good at, and now I'm no longer good. I served you, God, and now I no longer serve you. I've died in my service to you, but raise me up. You did it with Lazarus. Do it with me. You've done it with others that were dead physically. You've healed them. You've restored them. You've brought the gospel. you preached the gospel to the poor. You've set the captive free. There's going to be a judgment someday, and the dead are going to be deader than ever, but in an alive form. The dead that do not give their heart to Jesus Christ end up in a lake of fire. It says, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. What would that be like? Eternally on fire? It's not the way that I want to go. It's not the way I want you to go. Wherever you are, anywhere across the United States, anywhere across this world, you have a time. You have an opportunity to do what Paul said in that passage I referenced, to judge yourself so you won't be judged. You'll be judged clean and whole. Because we have a Lord who was made to be sin for us, we can become his righteousness. All those contradictions we talked about earlier in the program, all those ironies and those mysteries, they all come down to this. He became dead that we KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR. Hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. 
President Trump says he has no intention of cooperating with congressional investigations led by House Democrats. More from White House correspondent Greg Clugston. The president is fed up. I say it's enough. After nearly two years of being investigated by the special counsel, the president says Congress needs to focus on other business. Get back to infrastructure, get back to cutting taxes, get back to lowering drug prices. The president says his White House will be fighting all the subpoenas issued by House Democrats in their ongoing investigations. Greg Clugston, Washington. The search has ended for a missing five-year-old boy outside Chicago. Andrew, A.J. Friend's parents reported him missing last week. Please pray for the safe return of my son. Crystal Lake Police Chief James Black says evidence was presented to the boy's parents, including a shovel and mattress. They provided police with a location. Investigators located what they believe to be A.J.'s body buried in a shallow grave wrapped in plastic in a row area of Woodstock, Illinois, which is not far from the family's home. The parents each face five counts of first degree murder. Early on, police didn't believe the boy was kidnapped. The chief had a message for AJ. We know you're at peace playing in heaven's playground and are happy you no longer have to suffer. I'm Ed Donahue. Government leaders in Sri Lanka